So today we're going to talk about the Christian and development and how God develops us, which is uh, sometimes through discipline, through allowing us to stay in our sin until we realize we need him. See, after we get saved, next should come some sort of growth in Christ. We shouldn't just get saved and think we can go out and do exactly what we did before and act the same exact way as we did before we accepted Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches transformation. That means when you accept Christ, you are transformed. Now, everybody transforms at a different rate, but there should be some sort of change in you. So if you're not growing, you're going to be backsliding. You're going to be going backwards, not forwards. See, and our spiritual growth is actually a personal matter. It's a personal matter. You see, trouble, sorrow, sickness, and setbacks may help some of us Christians mature and develop in Christian life. I can tell you personally, I have grown more in pain than I ever have grown when life is going easy. When life is going easy, I don't need God. I think that's why life seems like more of a struggle. The more I get deeper into God, the harder life seems to become. Because he doesn't want to stop growing you. But... The same things that cause Christians to grow, trouble, sorrow, sickness, setbacks, may also be some of the things to make you, cause you to backslide, to go backwards. It might, might cause you to, to do the very things that you did before you met Jesus. Because you can't handle life. So you think, because you can't handle life, which you've never been able to handle life, oh, I'm going to turn into, turn to this to make me happy. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to sex. Some people turn to, you name it. Some people just shut off completely to God. Because why would God allow this to happen to me? Because he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. You see, God loves you so much that he'll accept you just as you are. But he loves you so much that he won't leave you that way. He doesn't want you to stay here. I don't care where here is, by the way. He doesn't want you to stay here. That would be living a stagnant life. And I don't know if you've been around stagnant stuff. It starts to stinketh after a while. See, if we are not moving, we are going to start being a stagnant pond. 
And guess what can't live? When, when it gets so bad, nothing can live in that stagnant pond. So we, we as Christians need to allow the stuff that God puts in our life to mold us and shape us into the people he wants us to be. Peter told us to grow in the Lord in 2 Peter 3.18. He says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. See, Christian development is a daily process which continues as long as we live. It doesn't stop. You've not reached your max potential. And I'll tell you why. Because you're still breathing. While you're still breathing, you've got room to grow. All of us have room to grow because God wants to grow you. I mean, he refers to planting seeds. When you, plant, when you talk to your faith about somebody else and you're trying to witness to, to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, he talks in seed metaphors. He wants you to plant the seed and then he waters the seed and the seed grows. Well, usually, if you want a, if you want a big, big, okay, in America, we've got all the red, the, red, the, red, well, the red forest where all the big pines are growing. Are they pines? Redwoods. The redwoods are growing. I should know that. I'm a carpenter. All the big redwoods. They didn't grow overnight, did they? They took years and years and years, yet they grew from nothing, really. A seed, a little seed. And now they're massive, reaching the sky. And they still grow. That is what we're supposed to do. Continue to grow. Dale just turned 90. He's not done growing yet. God's got stuff to teach him still. And God wants to use him. So, we need to focus on Christ. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, the Christian life is compared to a foot race. You know, it's not a sprint. Because we'd get out of breath and we wouldn't be able to finish it. It's a marathon. And if you don't pace yourself, you're not going to finish well. You're going to finish last or not at all. And that's what he compares it to. Second, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27, he says it like this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Run like you're going to win the race. So because he's talking about a marathon here, he's saying pace yourself. 
Don't stop. The winners of the race aren't the ones that get out the gate the quickest. They're the ones that pace themselves the best. And they don't stop. Because they're not exhausted. Because they paced themselves. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, we need to remove all that keeps you from living the Christian life. You need to remove it from your life. If something is stopping you growing in Christ, you need to get rid of it. And by the way, I'm not saying, because I won't name what that thing is, because it's something different for everybody. You see, here's the thing about about stuff that hinders us. Something that hinders me might not hinder you. And vice versa. So I can't tell you what that something is. You know what that something is though. And for a lot of us, it's this right here. You know, study, we read, they say, more than we've ever read before, but we really don't. We skim information on one of these. When we have this. People tell me, I don't have time to to do this. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to do this. But they'll spend hours looking at Facebook. Hours watching YouTube videos. But they don't have time for God. And they wonder why they're not growing. Because they're not trying. We are supposed to work too. Paul says it's a race. Do you think you have to train for a race? Or can you just go out there and run a race? Because I'm not in the physique to go run a race. So if I just go out there and go, I'm going to sign up for a marathon, I am going to fail. Unless I can walk it and take a couple days. With a nice cozy hotel halfway through. You have to train. How we train is important. We all say we want to grow. There's not one person if I said, hey, do you want to grow in Christ? Do you want to be a better Christian? But because we know we're saved by grace... We say, ah, we don't need to do that. We're saved by grace. But according to Jesus, he tells you to give up anything that hinders you. Jesus said to the rich man, sell everything. He didn't say to everybody, sell everything, did he? 
He told the rich man to sell everything. Do you know why? Because the rich man, that was his God, little g. We all have little g gods. Every one of us have a little g God that we keep putting up here above the big g God. So, we need to practice looking unto Jesus. Verse 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy. So when I was talking about the cross earlier, he did it out of joy. You ever thought, Jesus had joy when he died for you because he knew what he was dying for. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, in this race, we need to look to him. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. See, he is the designer of the race. Isaiah 45, 22. The ESV says, turn to me and be saved. But, hold up a minute, because I've got to tell you a story. Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he wrote a lot of books about Christianity. I have, in my library, 30-some books that have all of his sermons, and they're still finding stuff that wasn't printed that they found in his, in his, in different diaries, and they're making more of his early sermons before he went to, uh, he went to Park Street and then uh, Tabernacle. Uh, so, how he got saved? He snowing day in England. It's snowing, and everything is it, it's, it's snowing, and he's walking, and he stumbles upon, he was actually looking for, for, for a God at the time. He had grew up in a Christian home, well, a God-believing home. Whether they were Christian or not, I don't know. But they, were, they, they believed there was a God. Spurgeon knew he wasn't saved, okay, and he went to church every week. But this one, he heard the Methodists, they were a loudy bunch of folks, and they got excited, and, and they played. So, so this snowy day, he knew where this Methodist church was. So he, he, he is walking in the snow, and he gets to this Methodist church, and there's not many people in there. There's not many people in there. And it was such a snowy day, which I'd been in England. I don't know how much snow they got that the pastor couldn't show up, but the pastor couldn't show up. And so back in that day, if the pastor didn't show up, Somebody else preached the message. That's what happened, by the way. Imagine that. Because they all read their Bible. So, Spurgeon's words, not me, said the guy was stupid. Basically, I'm using our English now. He said the guy wasn't very knowledgeable. He didn't pass school. He was probably a uh, a shoemaker. Okay? And And... Spurgeon is just sitting there, and there's not many people in the church because it's snowy. 
And Spurgeon is sitting there, a young boy, 16, 15, 16 years old. I think he was like 15, because I actually think he started his first church. He was in his first church as a pastor at 16. So he was highly educated. Uh, so he, he's sitting there, and he hears this out of Isaiah 45. Look unto me and be saved. That's it. That's the verse that he used. Look unto me and be saved. And Spurgeon's sitting in the seat. And, and then he goes, any fool can look. You don't have to be smart to look. He has been under some of the greatest teaching before this. And he needed to just hear this word, this day. And by the way, he is still impacting people's lives today. So that not very smart shoemaker has got a lot of people that he has affected their lives by using that word that God gave him that day. Look, and Spurgeon says, well, anybody can do that. I can do that. I can look. And he focused on Jesus that day and was saved that day. He doesn't remember the name of the pastor. He remembers the verse and the whole, the situation. And the pastor looked at Spurgeon. Well, the, the, he wasn't even a pastor. He looked at, at Spurgeon and they, he knew Spurgeon didn't belong there or wasn't a usual person in the church, and he said, you look weary, and you're always going to be weary until you look upon Jesus. We are always going to be weary when we're not looking at Jesus, when we don't focus on Jesus. See, at that point, Spurgeon heard the text. He found what he had been looking for. He realized there is no other power. There is no other name. There is no other way. There's only Jesus. Only Jesus. We need to look unto him. There could be pain. Jesus had pain. Jesus asked us to follow us. In the verse it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, des- despising the shame. I read this verse a lot. Isaiah 53, 3 through 7. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he, dis- he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He willingly went to the cross for you. When you have to turn away from God because God's not comforting you the way you want to be comforted, you need to read this verse. That's what he did for you. When you think some, you need something else in your life that's going to satisfy you, you need to remember these words. That that's what your God was willing to do for you. We need to focus on Jesus' position. See, and it, it said, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what's beautiful about this? We see this in practice in the Bible. Where, where you actually, Stephen, when he was being stoned, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the God to welcome him home to heaven. You know what, Stephen? And this is why we don't get Christianity because we live in a world that's too easy. And it's not hard to be a Christian. It's getting harder. I'm praying it gets a lot harder for, for, for all of us. I think we need, we, we need it to get harder, faster, because that's how we're going to grow the kingdom. Plus, it's going to bring Jesus Christ back. So I, I think that, that under persecution, the church grows and uh, we, we look at society, and you know they're writing books and doing statistics that, that, that Christianity is dying. Yeah? I'll tell you what. I'm from England. What's happening in America today happened 15 years ago in England. We're becoming more liberal as a country. But, I'll tell you this. In the East, Christianity is growing. There is more Muslims accepting Christ now than ever before in the history of Muslim. Really, there's, there's more people. The church is not dying. Christ is not dying. But the world wants to tell you that. You could see magazines on a shelf that will tell you that, that, that Christianity is dying. What's happening in America is... Pseudo-Christians are stopping coming to church. People who said they were Christians that came to church because it was the thing to do are not going to church anymore. But they were never Christians in the first place. They participated in something because that's what the world said they should do. We come to church because we love Jesus. And that's the only reason you should come to church. To worship the true king that died for you. That's why we come to church. See, we need to lay aside every weight. In our lives. And just turn 
to Jesus. See, we struggle with life. And all we need to do is focus on Jesus. Lights are going to make life easier. It's going to show you the end goal is Jesus. If you focus on Jesus, I'm going to tell you, your life's going to get a lot harder. A lot harder. It's hard to be a Christian in a, in a uh, post-Christian age. Are you brave enough to stand up for what you believe? To live what you believe? Stop trying to fit in to the rest of the world? Stop trying to act like the world? Start acting like God wants us to act? Because that's the true witness of Christ. And that means we will be criticized for Christ. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If Jesus... If Jesus was mistreated and betrayed, what makes you think that your life is going to be easy if you profess to be a Christian? Because, by the way, that is one thing that's ruining Christianity in America, that we have the, the prosperity, faith-based faith prosperity saying, if I believe hard enough... I will be healed. If I believe hard enough, my bank account will never be empty. If I believe I could have an airplane and my congregation could pay for the fuel for it. That sort of Christianity is killing American Christianity. You see, if you believe in Jesus... Jesus says, follow him. You don't think following him is going to cause some criticism in your life? Because your opinions, by the way, as Christians, our opinions are getting less and less accepted in this world. What we stand for, because we believe what God says about humankind, is now not acceptable in our community we live in. What are you going to stand for? What God says? Or what the world says? Because by the way, the world's going to fade away and die. God's world, word will never fade away and die. Matthew 26, 48. Talking about being mistreated and betrayed. He says, now the betrayer had given them the, a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? He was betrayed by one of the people that followed him. So what I'm saying is you might have a friend that stabs you in the back. They weren't friends. They were hanging around you to see what they could gain from hanging around you. You will be denied. 
just like Jesus. 26, uh, Matthew 26, 69 through 74 says, Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came up to, to him and said, you, are, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out of the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystander, This man with Jesus, was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied him. It, it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, by, after a little while the bystander came up. And said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Did anybody ever tell you you should never take the Lord's name in vain? And you say, don't say God damn it. Okay. But that's not taking the Lord's name in vain, actually. What, what Peter does right there is taking the Lord's name in vain. He had made a promise to Jesus. Saying, I will never deny you. And then he did. That is what it really means, by the way. It really means to make a commitment. When you say you believe what you you do, and then you go out in the world and show other people that you don't believe what you say, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. When you don't live a life that is acceptable to God, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. Because you say one thing on a Sunday, and then say another thing on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That is actually what it means to do that. And you will be denied by the world. You will be hated by the world if you truly live out your faith. That's what we're afraid of. How many people would want to, want to be hated? Uh, nobody's going to put their hand up and say, hey, I want to be hated. But if I ask the question a bit, how many people want to be hated for Jesus, we should all put our hands up. I can tell you this, it's better to be hated for Jesus than be hated by Jesus. We need to live what we says, no matter what the world says about us. We need to, do you know what, what the, the, the problem with today is that there's so many big pastors that have got so big that when they fall, it makes news throughout the whole world. And that condemns every single Christian when that happens. And it definitely, if it doesn't condemn every single Christian, it does condemn every single pastor because they all think we're all alike. Okay? But if we start acting differently, most of the time, like if we acted differently as a church and other churches happened, acted differently, it wouldn't be as noticeable when one person falls 
would it? As when we're all doing the right thing. Because the world will change if we're doing the right thing. And it's going to be hard. And we're going to be criticized. Verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. We may be persecuted for being Christians. We go, not in America. Well, you can be persecuted for your, for your beliefs in many different ways. Persecution doesn't mean that you're going to go to a cross and be nailed to it, or you're going to be set on fire. Like in some countries, have your head cut off, or thrown in a prison where nobody knows where you are, and then they torture you every single day of your life. That's happening today, by the way. There's, there's Christians, there's pastors in prison right now being held where nobody knows where they are and they're being tortured. We live in a safe environment. But, but you can be persecuted. You can be, hey, I proudly tell people that I'm, I'm a pastor and I, I'm a, uh, when, when people ask me to do work, I tell them that. That could condemn me one day because some people don't like pastors. Some people don't like uh, uh, Christians. We don't live in a time anymore, by the way, that if you told somebody you're a pastor, that 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 they think that you're some great member of society. We don't live in that year anymore. That was in the the 1930s and 40s. You could probably get away with that. Not today. They think all you care about is uh, nothing, basically. So there is no people look at you like you're this special person if you say that. If you tell people you're a Christian, it used to be like if you told people you're a Christian, they'd want to do business with you. There's some people that if you tell them a Christian, they don't agree with your viewpoint. And then they'll start asking you questions about your viewpoint. And if you want something from them, we have a tendency, because we're sinful human beings, to lie about our viewpoint or to beat around the bush about our viewpoint because we don't want to be persecuted for our belief. That's why I try to be open as I can all the time and open about what I personally believe as a Christian, what I personally think it means to walk with Christ. I'm not perfect. Verse 5, though, says, and, you ha- you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, n- nor be weary when reproved by him. Have you ever thought, because we have a problem with God disciplining as people. We do. We don't think God disciplines people. But all, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, this is John 1, 12. He gave the right to become children of God. And because we are his sons, we must be corrected from time to time. God wants obedient Children, 
if he doesn't correct us, we go astray. See, sometimes we are disciplined by Christ. See, we have to remember that discipline equals love. See, if your child, if you have ever, if you had children, were playing in the street, okay, and they didn't listen to you to get out the street, you would discipline them for playing in the street. If they, were, if they couldn't swim and they were playing by the creek, you would discipline them. As a loving parent, you would discipline them. Because that's what loving parents do. I'm not saying you beat your children. I'm saying you correct them. If you don't, by the way, you don't love them. If you don't, you don't love them. You have to correct. Else you don't know what you're going to end up with. So God, seeing he loves us more than we could ever love anybody in the world, he is going to discipline us. Verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. How he does this sometimes is leaves us in our sin. And we think, well, I'm having a good time in my sin. Well, I don't care what sin it is. It always usually starts out as fun. It never ends that way. I mean, I could ask my uh, friends that gave up drugs or alcohol and say, hey, when you first did it, it was fun, wasn't it? Dave, was it fun when you first did it? You had a great time, didn't you? Was it fun near the end? Wasn't, was it? Because it started out as fun, but it ended miserably. And that's what addiction does. But God, because I know this, allowed Dave to stay in his addiction to discipline him, to allow him to meet the real Jesus and be saved. God will use any means he can to save you. And he will fight till your last breath to save you. But you have to accept it. Some of us are too stubborn to ever accept that discipline. See, and sometimes we're walking with Christ and we're baby Christians or we're we, we're stagnant and we go, well, I'm going to do this because I think this is going to benefit me. So I'm going to lie to somebody to get what I need. And that never goes very well, experience, right? Uh, or you go, I, I love God. I go to church every week. Because I'll tell you, I became a Christian 20 years ago. I came to church every week from the time I became a Christian, okay? Very rarely missed. I'm telling you, 
I was changed, but I wasn't 100% changed. (laughs) I was doing stuff that God didn't want me to do, but guess what God did? He disciplined me, and he disciplined me hard. Because God wants you to be wise. And when you're making stupid decisions, he's letting them stupid decisions discipline you. So whether you're a a long-time Christian, a short-time Christian, you will be disciplined by God over the years of being a Christian. There's going to be times in your life that you're doing stuff that God says don't do, and he's going to use it to grow you. Because he allows you to be in it, so it grows you. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord discipline or be wary of reproof. For the Lord reproves him who lo- he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. He may use sickness, sorrow, trouble, loss, or persecution. See, we need to be patient in the chastising. Verse 7 says, it is for discipline that you have been have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Then you are in illegitimate children and not sons. And verse 8 says, If you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And then verse 9 says, Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit, the, the Father of spirits and live? And finally, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained in it. There's a promise. There's a promise that God is going to discipline you, but it's going to bring fruit to your life. And I can tell you, we all need more fruit in our lives. So what can we do? If we are not developing in the Christian life, we will backslide. Here are some verses that will help us develop in the Lord. And I'm going to tell you them. So if you've got a pen, write them down. And I want you to read them. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Matthew 6, 33. Matthew, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Proverbs 5 through 6. And Romans 12, 1 through 2. So if we start to practice these verses, we will develop into strong Christians. That's just, and if you didn't get them, ask me on the way out. I'll tell you them on the way out. No problem. We will not stray and backslide. Just with them four verses, 
if you could memorize them four verses, one tells us to love. One tells us to seek the kingdom. One tells us to trust the Lord with all our heart. And one tells us not to conform to this world. We will not stray and we will not backslide. We will grow in the Lord and bring honor and glory to him. So what we can do, we can rest in the already. Resting in the already is, it's already done. Jesus died on the cross. We can rest in that fact that your sin has been paid for. And then we can hope in the not yet. Jesus is coming back. Either before we die or after we die, at some point Jesus is coming back. The book tells us that. So we got something to hope for. We've got the already and the not yet. Already and not yet. That's all you've got to remember. Focus on the cross of Christ. And focus on the hope of him coming back. And get ready for next week as we finish chapter 12, verses 12 through 29. Read them so you're ready for next week's sermon, A Christian Warning.